Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Don't come over here now. You stay on your side of the class. You can't be switching sides. Yeah, we've, we've got rules around here. Good morning. Good to see you guys here. Thank you guys for tuning in online. Again, we are grateful, so grateful for all of you who participate in Genesis still, those of you who financially support us, thank you, uh, whether it's online, whether it's sending in mail, um, we are grateful for the ways that you continue to support us so that we can be here and do what we are doing. And we are not done doing what we're doing. We still desire to do more, and as time goes on, we'll see how and what that looks like. But in the meantime, again, thank you. Before we get started, some prayer requests. We want to continue praying for Mary's brother, Larry. Uh, He fell and broke his hip. He is doing better, but um, he still needs prayer. He is still uh, dealing with other health issues, so we want to be praying for him. Uh, We want to continue praying for Kachina's dad, Frank, who is now back at home. But again, his health is failing And so uh, pray for the family as they are surrounding him at this time. And then also continue praying for Sue. Uh, I spoke with Ben on Friday, and she is going to stop taking the chemo. Um, She just felt like it's not... It's not good for her. And Ben said that there was actually a little bit of relief when she decided not to... And it's one of those just difficult situations. You know, this is the possibility for you getting through the cancer, but it's also killing you. And do I deal with this or do I just deal with what's happening through the cancer? And so it looks like she's going to stop taking chemo. And um, it's a decision that she made. And I totally understand that, but it's heartbreaking to have to be in that situation. So we want to pray for these situations, and I know there's more, uh, but let's lift these up as we get started today. Father, as we gather together, we are aware that there are needs around us in the people that we know, the people that we love, as well as in the world around us, the things that we see and the things that are beyond our sight, things that are happening in Haiti and around us locally in our community. And so, Father, our hearts want to be open to 
help in what ways we can, extending a meal to those who are in need, saying uh, hello and making a phone call and just comforting those who we can and lifting these requests in prayer for the people and the families that we have mentioned. Lord, we are grateful for people around us who do care and show support. Thankful that it has been a comfort to, I know, Ben, Kristen, Sue, and I know to so many others, Lord, to have that kind of support and care. May you continue to rally around them and allow your presence to be seen in people and the goodness that is shown. And as we take time this morning to look at forgiveness and what that word has meant and does mean and wrestle with it. May you provoke us, God, in ways that will stimulate love and good deeds. For it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Was I supposed to be up here when you said amen? I always kind of thought that was funny how Someone would be, you know, praying, and then all of a sudden, if your eyes were closed and you open them, magically there were people on stage. It's like, oh, they, they are, they're here. Well, this morning we are going to continue talking about some different words, and I'm going to look at the word forgiveness. And just a reminder, there are other words that I had thrown up on the board um, that you guys can chime in which one you would like to talk about. If you'd like to talk about, we spoke about righteousness uh, last week. We could talk about faith, peace, the gospel, grace, religion, forgiveness is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, fellowship, holiness, life, hope, love, the cross, salvation, and witness. Any of those strike a chord that you would like to know more about, let me know. I had one request for salvation. Um, I know we kind of talked on it, I felt like, through Ephesians, but we can do more. We can always do more. So if there's something that's of interest to you guys here, let me know what it might be. Or if you're watching and you want to write it down uh, on YouTube or send in a text to me, let me know and we will definitely try and cover some of these things. And the reason I wanted to talk about different words is because these words are so central to what our faith is like. And so understanding these words, I think, are crucial. Um, I know that I've gotten a lot of good feedback from last week's talking about righteousness and just how it might be seen a little bit different in some of the ways we were taught and change how we understand a lot of what the scripture is saying just by understanding the context, the culture that these words were written in to help us then have a little bit more insight into the meaning. And, and I think that's going to be true with forgiveness. And I have to start off with a disclaimer because you can know about forgiveness, but it's totally different than practicing forgiveness. And it's something that I still need, and it's something that I am still working on. And I know that there are people who have gone through much more difficult things than I have, who have shown forgiveness um, and that I can learn from, that we can learn from. And so I'm not here as an expert teacher telling you about forgiveness. This is some understandings from Scripture, and I look forward to our conversation afterwards so that we can kind of 
hash some of these things out. I think today we often think of forgiveness primarily in the terms of guilt and freedom. You know, you get in an accident and your insurance company forgives the first accident. They're not going to raise your premiums because that is considered, um, we're going to forgive that one. And that's definitely a type of forgiveness. But like we've seen in the past, there is so much more that needs to be understood and especially when we're talking about forgiveness relationally between the divine and the human and between ourselves. And I first want to look at the Old Testament and look at some areas of forgiveness and get an idea of what it was to them, how it evolved, and in the New Testament, what it looks like, because it's coming from this. And so we're going to start with Exodus chapter 34. Exodus, which is the path out of slavery, right? Where God delivers the Israelites and they are to keep his commandments. They're not to worship other gods. They are to be committed to Yahweh alone. And in chapter 34, we've already seen they failed. They've already made the golden calf. They worshiped it and Moses comes down and here is kind of, Uh, a rebuke, but also a revelation of what God is like. Then the Lord passed in front of him, Moses, and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh is a compassionate and generous God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequence of the father's wrongdoing on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Now, there's a lot to unpack here, but we start off with he's compassionate and gracious. We, we have this idea that it, it is for a thousand generations, but then we see that he will not leave the guilty unpunished And that goes on for a few generations. And so at least the generations of forgiveness are longer than the generations of the not holding, you know, forgiving those who are guilty, holding them accountable. And I think that there is something more than just transactional happening here. I think that what is happening in this passage is meant to push into this people at this time, because we're going to see that this story about, you know, not just forgiving people blindly or still holding the guilty accountable is something that carries on, but the curse, if you will, of generational curses is changed. And we see that in Jeremiah 31, verses 29 and 30, And it says, in those days, it will never again be said, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Rather, each will die for their own wrongdoing. Anyone who eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. And and so now it's, if you eat the sour grapes, you're gonna feel it. Not your children and your children's children. And and it seems these are, are two different things being said, but I don't think it's so much of a contradiction as it is an understanding of 
the people at that time. In Exodus, they have just been delivered from this place. They are starting their path as a new nation, and they have had this uh, rebellious, you know, building of the calf, and there's this pushing into them that's saying, hey, I'm good, and I'm forgiving, but I'm still holding you accountable. And so there's this kind of holding the feet to the fire, but in Jeremiah, they are in captivity. They are now wondering what hope is there for us? Are we gonna be here forever? And so the tone changes and God is now saying, hey, listen, I'm not gonna hold you accountable for what's been done before you. You just have to deal with this yourself. Imagine you're, you're getting ready to go on a long ride with your young children, right? You've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. <laughs> And they're in the back seat, and you know you're going to be on the road for a few hours. And all of a sudden, they start fighting. Stop hitting your sister, or I'm going to take the toys away. Right? You're kind of telling them, hey, I need to hold you accountable. Otherwise, you're going to, we're not going to have this for the next few hours. But then imagine you're with your kid, and it's been a long trip, and you know they're hungry, and they're tired, and they haven't been able to sleep, and they haven't been able to eat, and they're fussy, and you say, hey, listen, here's a toy. Try and settle down. You're trying to meet them where they're at. Their behaviors might be similar, but it's a different scenario. And I think that happens, and it takes place in Scripture. I, I, I think that This is an adaptive faith that we are talking about where they see God in relation to how they now see the world. And our lives have changed from where we were in Exodus to where we are in Jeremiah and how we understand God and his leaning in towards us is also changing and is also growing The people were in different places and needed to hear different things to better understand where God was and the reality that they saw. Where is forgiveness? Is it still here? Is God still with us? Or are we being judged for the wrongs that have been done? And one of the things that we see in the Old Testament is this idea of atonement, atoning forgiveness. And one way to look at the whole matter of forgiveness is through this lens of atonement and their worship. And now some forms of sacrifice were for thanksgiving, others were celebration, and some were because of sin. And the language of atonement is all about covering over. That's what it means. And so this idea of covering over the sin through a sacrifice. And so in Psalm 32, verse 1, It says, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now, we're never really told the logic of what exactly is covered, how or why, but we would guess that it is that the blood of an animal stands as a temporary substitute for the life of the person who broke the covenant. But there's a few things to keep in mind when it comes to this idea of Old Testament atonement sacrifice. One is God doesn't eat. So this sacrifice is not a bribe here. We'll give you this food 
as an offering so that you'll forgive us. And so how we see the relation of it is a little bit different than maybe how we would interpret it with appeasing, right? And, and second, it is not the sacrifice itself that solves the problem of sin. It is the gracious, forgiving nature of Israel's God. And so in 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. See, he is the one. It's not the sacrifice that made it okay. It's God who does the forgiving. It is God who does the making of right. And once again, we see that there is this understanding of forgiveness, this needing for things to be covered, but then it adapts throughout Israel's history. And especially regarding sacrificial atonement. And so Proverbs 21, verse three, it says, doing what is righteous and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Or in Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humble heart. And so there seems to be an evolution of atonement it is to practice righteousness, to, to live into right relationship with God. That's what God desires more than you bringing an offering to him. And so the offering was meant to maybe make you aware of something. It was to cost you something. But what God is at is after is not the sacrifice. He's after the heart. He's after the change. And so God's forgiveness is relational. It does not prevent punishment, right? A modern assumption today is that forgiveness means there will be no negative consequences for bad decisions, but that's not always the case. Even as we read, he will not leave the guilty unpunished. You will reap what you sow. There are so many examples where what a person does still affects what's going to happen to them. And so forgiveness isn't a erasing of the deed that was done. But we also see that God's forgiveness expects repentance. And this is where it's going to get fun, I think, in our conversation later. Because although God is quick to forgive, he also expects his people to confess their sins and repent. God gave Solomon a warning when he was building the temple that was to represent the place where God's presence was to be with his people. And we see in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, a scripture that is read every election cycle to sway people how to vote a certain way so the economy and their life can be better. In 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, it says, And my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. God is wanting the reciprocal. You repent, I will forgive. I remember my son Daniel when he was young, I don't know how old, maybe six years old or something like that. He was picking on his sister and he did something, took her toy, broke it, hit her. I don't know what he did, but we punished him in some way. We took his toy away, put him in his room, did something. And he, I remember his response to us, but I said my sorries, right? 
I said my sorries. You can't do this to me because I said my sorries. Like this was his get out of jail card, right? I said I'm sorry, so we're done, right? But that's not what repentance is. Repentance is a changing, right? It's not simply saying we're sorry or showing remorse. It's a whole life change. It's turning around from going a wrong direction and moving intentionally to a different direction. It's making the effort in your life to remedy what was being done. And to accomplish this, Ezekiel explains that Israel needs a new heart and a new spirit. You see, these sacrifices, they're great. They're they're letting you know you have to be dealing with this. But it's not enough. What has to happen is there has to be a change that wants to make a difference. And so in Ezekiel 18, verse 31, it says, throw off all the transgressions you have committed and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, house of Israel? Stop doing these things. Get a new heart. Get a new spirit. Well, that's all well and good, but how do you do that? Which leads to the direction of forgiveness. I think it would be helpful to distinguish between two kinds of forgivenesses. One's maintenance, maintaining forgiveness, and the other is transformative forgiveness. Maintenance forgiveness involves letting go of the wrong and releasing the sinner from guilt, though some punishment might still be involved. Maintenance forgiveness allows the relationship to continue, but it continues under the sacrifice and the penitence of the person. Transformative forgiveness is where God changes the heart and spirit to enable them to enter into a deeper union, a deeper relationship. It's no longer just maintaining peace. It is building peace. It is making peace. And this transformative forgiveness was promised by God as part of a new covenant, that he would put his law within their hearts. This was not a whole new deal, but a transformation of their previously established covenantal understanding of God. The law would be written within them, and they would experience a newfound intimacy and trust. Then no one will say, where is the Lord? But they will say, everyone will know the Lord. And I think that that's, where they are leaning to, right? They are, forgiveness of sins is what they are longing for is a change in the relationship with God. They are wanting to be a a people who know and are in communion with God. And again, it's more than just wiping away a charge or accusation. It would have a richer and deeper, more fruitful covenant with God. When is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? And I think the Old Testament records the struggle of understanding how to live in relationship with God. Repent, yeah, that's good. Sacrifice, yeah, that's better. Change your heart, oh, that's the best. That's what we want to get to. And then Jesus comes into the picture and brings the clarity of, I think, what was evolving in these areas in the Old Testament. In Luke's gospel especially, 
he picks up right where Jeremiah left off, where God wants to create a new heart within them. I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. And again, I think we can have it in our mind, forgiveness is simply the freedom from penalty. I'm not going to hell. This idea of you know penalty, of having to, to pay this price so that you don't have to owe this debt, I think there's so much more in what forgiveness is about. The gospel sees it more like what Jeremiah was talking about. Forgiveness shifts from shifts the relationship between two people into a place where they have now the ability to grow together, communion with one another. And this happens both with the people and with God and with one another. And so Luke's gospel it starts with John the Baptist in Luke chapter three. He went into all the vicinity of Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, John's baptism was for repentance. This was not become a follower of Jesus because Jesus was not leading yet. There was no one to follow. This was just a preparation to the way. This was understand that there needs to be something that's changing within you. You have to have a a recognition of God wants a life for me that I am not living into. And John is saying, you need to turn to this. Imagine you're in... Portland, Oregon, and it's raining and it's cold and you don't have an umbrella because for some reason they don't have umbrellas in Oregon. And and you're there and you're just waiting for your friend to come pick you up and take you home to California where it's going to be 100 degrees. And all of a sudden you see the lights of the car coming and there they are and they pull around and you're so thankful and they open the door and you get in out of the rain into the warmth of the car and you're so grateful. You're not home yet but you're on the way there. You've made the step to start going in the right direction. And that's kind of what John is doing. It's a repentance to push into something more. It's not the destination, but it's at least getting in the car. And so as he takes on this place into a deeper communion with God, with one another, it starts with repentance. It starts with an understanding of change needs to happen the way I think, the way I live, how we see. But as it pushes on further, we start to see that there is really no forgiveness without repentance. Now, this is going to bring back kind of that grace idea that we had before. But think about this. According to Luke, when Jesus called sinners, he didn't call them to forgiveness. He called them to repentance. The angels in heaven rejoice whenever one sinner is forgiven. No, repents. Because the repentance makes the ground fertile for the forgiveness to have its way. It's vital to the working of forgiveness. And again, if it's transactional, that doesn't make sense. But if it's relational, transformational, then it's absolutely necessary. And so what does forgiveness accomplish? Throughout Jesus's ministry, we see him 
expressing areas of forgiveness. In Luke chapter 5, we have the people bringing the paralytic man to be healed by Jesus, and they can't get in, and so they have to go on the roof, and they tear out the roof, and they drop him down. And in verse 20, it says that Jesus, seeing their faith, said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. And they lose it. At least the Pharisees lose it. Who is this man, think he is, that can forgive sins? And Jesus says, what's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? And what's the point of saying this to a man who needs healing? Because forgiveness and healing are connected. In fact, in Psalm 103, verse 3, it says, he forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases. You see, these were connected, and it, it does not mean that you will not get sick. It does not mean that you will not have loved ones who have cancer. But the idea of healing is the idea of restoring, is the idea of making whole. The idea of forgiveness is leading into a relationship that brings healing and that makes whole. The relationship with you and God and the relationship with you and others. Again, it's transformative. Forgiveness is not so we don't go to hell. It's so we can be restored, healed, made whole with God and with one another. There's another example of the sinful woman in Luke chapter seven who comes down and she anoints Jesus' feet with oil and washes them with her tears and wipes them with her hair. And the Pharisee Simon says, oh, if he knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't let her touch him. And Jesus gives the story about the two debtors, one owed a lot and was forgiven, one owed a little and was forgiven. And he asked him, who loves more? So I suppose the one who was forgiven more. And he goes, you said rightly. You see this woman? She's been forgiven much. You, you didn't give me water for my feet. You offered me nothing. She's anointed my feet. She's washed my feet with her tears, dried them with her hair. She has loved much because she has been forgiven much. And he tells the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Saved faith healing, forgiveness, they're all together. Why is she forgiven? Because she was loved much, and it was that that saved her? It was the healing or the forgiveness of sins that restored the man? They all are connected. And forgiveness should produce gratitude, should produce love. This woman loved much because she was forgiven much. Luke 11, the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. In Luke 17, verse three, it says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, think about this because we hear these things and we, again, jump to these places where it's transactional. But who is it that you would sin against seven times in a day or would sin against you seven times in a day? Or say it's not a day, say it's a week, say it's a month. Is there anyone that you've had to say you're sorry to more than once? I think of my wife, 
right? How many times I say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You see, this is talking about relation. It says if your brother, it's talking about someone who you're close to. This isn't if some stranger abuses you, you gotta just take it. That's not what he's saying. If you're in relationship with someone and this relationship is hindered, hurt by something that is done, then you want to move towards restoring it. That's the point, not keeping score and holding them accountable to these things. Forgiveness makes room for more forgiveness. Paul is transformed, forgiven in Acts, and then moves to represent forgiveness to everybody. The idea of forgiveness is to give you a heart that is receptive to be able to forgive. It softens the relationship to be more empathetic because you know you need this. Have you ever had a relationship with someone and they have maybe been forgiven of something just like, oh man, remember that time you did this? Oh man, you're, you're so lucky that your boss or your family forgave you. But then when something happens that's very similar, they're just like, oh man, that person, I, they should just be cut off. It's, and you just kind of have to hold your tongue. It's like, what about you? You know, that was you not too long ago. I, I think having a different mindset of forgiveness instead of, again, the transaction keeping score, it's like when you get in your car and you start driving and it's just like something's wrong and you realize the parking brake's still on. Forgiveness is like releasing that brake. It's taking away that thing that's holding that relationship and not allowing it to be what it should be. And what it should be can be a million different things right? It depends on the dynamics of that relationship. But that's a type of forgiveness that we see taking place in the New Testament. And then it pushes even further just into this idea when Jesus was on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There was no repentance shown by those crucifying him, but there was the posture of forgiveness by Jesus. And that is what he taught through Luke's gospel in his actions. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Be loving and generous toward your enemies without expecting something back. Be merciful because your father is merciful. This is radical love and forgiveness. And Jesus is postured in this way. So does this forgiveness require repentance? I thought you just said it does. And I think forgiveness is similar to our discussion on grace. For grace to be appropriated, it must be responded to. But it has to be there in the first place. And so I I used to think, again, biblical forgiveness was all about liberation, setting captives free, right? Set the sinners free. And that's what great, that's what forgiveness is all about. And there's an element that's true, that, that's there. But instead of linking forgiveness and freedom, I think now it's more associated with forgiveness and reconciliation. Because for Jesus, it is all about healing the relationship, restoring what is broken, not just releasing a debt. 
it seems to me that forgiveness is not so much about letting go of the offense, but not letting go of the offender and wanting to restore what is there with them, which is a totally different way of thinking it and a totally more difficult way to deal with things. Instead of a judge releasing a criminal, think of a parent trying to hold on to a child, like the prodigal story. The forgiveness that Jesus embodied was not merely transactional, but transformational. And I think this is at the core of what it is for us to be human. I think this is what it was pushing towards, even in the Old Testament. And I think we're going to find out how much more this has power in our lives than we even understand now. You know, I I always marvel at some of these things, like when they split the photons and they separate them, but they're still connected, even though they're separated. And it doesn't matter how far they're separated. There's no lack of connection. They can be miles. They can be light years away, and they are connected to each other. So that if one is moved, the other moves at the exact same time. There's no drop in Wi-Fi. There's no signal that needs to be held. They are just connected. If the universe is connected in this molecular way, how much more are all of these things? How much more are we connected to one another than we realize? When Jesus would say, you are one. You are the body of Christ. Father, may they be one just as we are one. You and me and me and them. What if this forgiveness is all about developing this unity and understanding that we are connected to each other and it matters? And if we held on to that, Luke 6, Jesus says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Why? Because you can't move one without the other being moved. Because we're connected, because it's important to who we are As human beings, it's important to who we are in this creation that God has created. And and, and I think of the times in my life where forgiveness was difficult, where I I wasn't sure what to do. And, and, you know, I've shared the story about one of our children who was struggling and how there was an... uh, There was the decision made, and it wasn't made easily. Corinne and I cried and wrestled and fought over these things because we did not know what to do because there is someone we love so much that we do not want to let them go, but we can't hold on the way things are. And so we had to ask them to leave the home and then they were homeless for a while. And then we continued to reach out and try and pull them because what we wanted was restoration. I didn't just want, I want to forgive you, but you have to pay back the money that you took from us. I, I you know, want to forgive you, but you have to fix the things that you broke. No, I just want to restore my child. And it changed me. And it changed them. And forgiveness, if it does not transform us, then I think it's become something less than what it is supposed to be. 
And I don't know your circumstances and I don't know what steps need to be taken. For us, it was a wrestling match. And oftentimes it is. Where you're testing and trying and pulling and does this work? No, that doesn't. Does this work? Maybe, maybe we can lean a little bit more into this. Maybe I can try this. But the intention is the restoration. And I think that is at the heart of what Jesus is doing. His intention is to restore us to the creator. And then he's inviting us to do the same thing with one another. I don't have an easy solution or answer. This is just some thoughts about it that I hope can be helpful and at least thought-provoking. Let's pray. Father, I feel so inadequate talking about this subject because I feel like I'm still working things through with people, with myself. I feel like I'm constantly in a place of having to look at my motivation and stop living in a a world of maintenance and transaction and keeping score or measuring things by my standard. Help me to move, help us to move into a place where we don't measure things by keeping score, but by if it is producing a better relationship, more communication, more empathy, more love. May your example motivate us to live like you as you forgave without the expecting to receive. But then it was that kindness that moved us to the repentance. Lord, I pray these conversations will help us wherever we're at and whatever we might be going through. Some are going through difficult things, some maybe not so much. But Lord, it is an area of life that is important to you, so it's important to us. And we do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May you take the hand of the Spirit and turn in the direction that brings restoration through forgiveness. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. Look forward to our conversation. God bless. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.